0: I'm Daniel Levine, and this is RareCast. The large number of rare diseases and the small number of patients afflicted with any one of them can help fuel a sense of isolation these patients feel. Sandra Spielberg, CEO of Seeker Health, has interviewed many rare disease patients over time as part of her work to help drug makers find participants for clinical trials. In a recent article on her website, she argues that rare disease patients, regardless of their particular ailment, share much in common. We spoke to Spielberg about the disease burden that rare disease patients face how they may seek to address some of these issues, and why collaboration throughout the rare disease community is critical to creating better outcomes. Sandra, thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you, Dan.
0: Listeners may not be familiar with your firm Seeker Help. Perhaps you can start with a few words about what you do and, and the contact you have with rare disease patients. Absolutely.
1: So, Thinker Health is a company that specializes in helping to connect uh, companies that are developing medicines for rare and serious conditions to patients who need those medicines. Primarily, we work in helping clinical trials enroll at an accelerated pace. And oftentimes for companies in spaces uh, like the rare disease space, it is difficult for them to find the patients that are affected with these rare diseases because the diseases, of course, are rare and the patients are distributed across the, the globe. So that's what we help companies with. Prior to this, I worked for um, biopharmaceutical companies in the rare disease space, Biomarin, Northerapeutics. And over the last two decades, I am asked a lot of information about different rare diseases and what the burden of illness is for these
0: patients. So let's talk about that because you recently wrote of market research interviews you conducted over time with rare disease patients to to see if you could identify common issues rare disease patients face. Well, there's great variance in the estimated 7,000 rare diseases that exist you did find patients face many of the same issues. I think rare disease patients, particularly early in the process of coming to terms with their conditions, feel very isolated. Do you find rare disease patients have more in common with each other than they might appreciate regardless of the specific ailments they face? Yes, that is
1: absolutely what we find. Uh, We find that there is a basic burden of illness that exists with any rare uh, disease that is out there. Um, and then you know of course, in that each condition has their own particular issues or challenges. Some conditions you know affect the patient more on a physical level while others affect them more on a cognitive level. Um, and y- you know there are some differences there, but there is a basic burden of illness out there for all rare diseases. Um, And it begins with the diagnostic process, right, the diagnosis. That's the first part in which we see a lot of burden. We find that patients spend a number of years um, trying to get diagnosed, right? So there's a huge diagnostic delay. Uh, The pathway to diagnosis for patients with rare diseases has delays and misdiagnoses, And we find that patients have to visit many different specialists. Until they achieve a final and correct diagnosis, but even more concerning than that is the issue that a patient basically needs to experience severe disease and severe symptoms before the diagnosis can be achieved.
0: Well you you also talk about diagnostic trauma. Uh, you know, I, I'm often surprised by the relief people seem to have in in being able to put a name to a disease, no matter how serious it is. But you find while that may be true, Trauma is a real part of the process. Can you explain what you found?
1: Yes. So what we found is that in the beginning, there is a sense of relief at finally being able to assign a name to this collection of signs and symptoms that obviously are very problematic for the patient. So both the patients and if the patient is a child, their parents first feel a sense of relief. Great. Now we know what we're dealing with. But immediately after that, that relief is followed by pretty deep despair about the fact that the isolation um, takes on at that that moment, right? They never heard of this condition. They don't know anyone who has it. They feel uneducated and unempowered uh, with the information that may have been given to them about the condition. And most rare diseases don't have a very good treatment. So immediately following that diagnosis, it's sort of the recognition or the beginning of the acceptance that there may not quite be a path to get better um, or to resolve the issues of this rare disease. So there's a lot of diagnostic trauma. We hear that patients and caregivers are really aided by having good information out there, right? So particularly online resources, because the behavior pattern that we have been able to pick up on is... The minute that a person is diagnosed with a rare disease, the first action that we take after going to, leaving the physician's office is to Google that disorder so that we can begin to process more information about what this condition is all about. Now the reality is that for a lot of rare diseases, there isn't good information out there that is patient friendly, that patients can understand. The second thing that patients do is they go on Facebook and they try to see if there is a group, a patient support group, a close group that they can belong to so they can find other patients just like them who are perhaps maybe a couple of years ahead in their diagnostic and treatment process and who can tell them and mentor them and support them and make them feel not so isolated in this um, in this diagnosis.
0: Well, as you mentioned, there are are, in, in the case of most diseases, there there are not treatments available, and what happens is patients are at best limited to treating symptoms. What does this mean for the rare disease patient?
1: Yeah, so it means a pretty heavy burden for these patients. For most rare diseases, because there aren't current treatments to address that disease directly. What happens is that the patient, the treatment becomes all about fixing what is breaking in the body, right? So something is breaking in the body, the, you know, there's, um, you know, compression in the spine, then there's a surgery, so decompression therapy, right? There's fluid in the lungs, then they go in to have the fluid in the lungs removed. So it becomes very, very much about fixing the squeaky wheel and not necessarily about addressing the underlying cause of the rare disease. The majority of rare diseases are caused by genetic components, right? And many of the treatments address that genetic mutation or that genetic deficiency in some way that provides patients with a treatment. So the burden comes about because treatments are very limited Many times are very cumbersome to the patient. Um, it, it involves having surgeries and procedures that are very involved, um, and this creates a, a very huge burden. There's, you know, the the more that we as an industry can do to invest in treatments for rare diseases, the more that we can contribute to easing this burden on patients.
0: Well, as this podcast goes live, we'll be inaugurating a new president, and, and with that comes a, a good bit of uncertainty about the future of healthcare in the United States. What we know is that rare diseases are expensive to diagnose and treat, particularly as we deal with undiagnosed patients. How, how much of an issue is getting coverage for things payers may not see as medically necessary or ranging from whole genome scanning to medical foods? How does this fit into the, the disease burden you, you write about?
1: Yeah, so uh, this contributes greatly to the disease burden because patients with rare diseases face many medical and medically related costs. Some are covered by insurance. For example, let's say if somebody's having a surgery to fix something that's now broken in their body, but many other costs are not covered by insurance. One of the things that we find many times for these inborn errors of metabolism that are handled with a restricted diet or a specific diet, we find that there is really no national mandate to cover some of these foods that are medical foods, right, that they are um, actually part of the prescription for better treatment and better outcomes for the patient. Um, So patients... Face with rare diseases, face all sorts of medical costs that may not be covered by their insurance. This could be things like medical equipment, additional therapies that are necessary for the patient uh, to perform um, at his or her best potential at that time, special foods, certain supplements, and these are not generally covered by insurance and become quite costly uh, over the lifetime of the patient.
0: Well, as you note, know- Rare diseases don't just affect an individual but have impacts on family members who are often serve as caregivers. Because so many of these diseases are genetic and manifest themselves in childhood, this has a physical and psychological toll on parents and other family members. What did you find in talking to this community?
1: Yeah, so parents of um, children with rare diseases face a very specific challenge, which is that caring for that child uh, becomes uh, a very significant portion of the time that they have available on a daily basis, right? So there are medical appointments to go to. There is specific care that the child will require on a day-to-day basis. There may be specific educational uh, therapy needs that the child Uh, requires and that coordination requires a lot of time and effort. One of the things that we heard, um, across many of these rare diseases is that one of the parents needs to let go of their ability to be employed in order to deal with the, the time that is required to take care of the child and to attend the medical appointments that are necessary. Um, so that's very a very significant burden, right, that one of the parents is unable to have employment, uh, either loses or needs to find uh, another type of employment that perhaps is considered suboptimal for them because of the, the time and the effort that is currently involved in um, dealing with the, the results of a child with a rare disease. So that's more on the on the time area, but on the emotional area, we found a lot of common threads here. Um, parents in the beginning, especially at the diagnosis time, experience depression, anxiety, extreme feelings of isolation. Um, over time, most of them have noted that those begin to resolve, especially after they find other members in the community, other parents just like them. Who are going through the process, who can serve as mentors and can serve as supportive um, shoulders, right ears, and, and hands to sort of help them through uh, the situation. So this is—it's uh, it's, its a very intense experience for a caregiver of a patient with rare diseases, and I think as a community, there's a lot more that can be done to help these caregivers thrive. Um, there is more education that is needed for them. There is more resources that are needed throughout the life of the patient. One of the things to consider is that these rare diseases are for life generally and that the patient needs support a diagnosis, but they also continue to need support year after year with new ideas for treatment, you know, for some of these diseases that involve um, restricted diets, they continuously need more ideas on diet and, you know, recipes and how to uh, get through the day-to-day um, with, you know, to help that particular patient. So there's a lot more that can be done here to ensure that these caregivers are taken care of and that they continue to have some stamina, you know, the stamina that is necessary to continue through the medical care for that child.
0: And as you speak to patients and caregivers, do you find they, they think of themselves in, in terms of being part of a specific disease community, or do, do they see a common link that, that you talk about in, in rare disease patients and caregivers?
1: Yeah, so the caregivers that we've spoken to tend to get the most benefit from speaking to other caregivers for a child who has exactly the same condition, right? Because the conditions are pretty specific, the way that the medical management may happen for that condition is pretty specific as well. So that's the most benefit. But there is some additional benefit in connecting with others who have a child that has high medical needs. Uh, Because there are some things that are shared in common, you know, the time commitment to the medical care They'll need to use other resources therapeutically um, in order to manage uh, the, the care for the child. So they do find some support as well from connecting with others that also have rare diseases that may not be exactly the same diagnosis as their child has.
0: You talk about collaborating for better outcomes. What are some of the ways you think that rare disease community can better address these types of issues of common concern?
1: Yeah, so we've explored from what I call the radical collaboration, where a radical collaboration is based on the, the awareness and the acceptance that in order to get to our common goal of better outcomes for patients, the different parties of the rare disease community, we all need each other. Right, There's an interdependency. Patient advocacy groups can't do it on their own. The FDA can't do it on their own. Biopharma cannot do it on their own. Even physicians cannot do it on their own. This is uh, an ecosystem, right, and it has different parties to it who need to collaborate in order to get to our common goal, which is better outcomes for this patient. So, you know, the parties that I see that we explore radical collaboration with are first Physicians, right, they need better education to diagnose patients with rare disease at a faster rate before the patient gets so bad, right, like they get so, they have such severe um, symptoms that there is really, you know, not a lot of ways to treat them back into health. Um, There's Biopharma who helps develop new and better medicines. There are the patient advocacy groups and families who support patients, the FDA to review and approve. And one area that we tend to forget about, but we don't at Seeker Health, is all the digital and other media that is out there that we can help, um, that we can use to educate and intercept patients where they are. So at Seeker Health, some of the collaborations have taken the form of putting together a patient registry for a rare disease. Um, let's say, for example, there is a biopharma company who is preparing to conduct a clinical trial for a rare disease, and they already understand that it's going to be difficult to locate these patients. So six months prior to the clinical trial is a perfect time to begin these collaborations in which we bring together patient advocacy groups that already exist the groups that may be closed on Facebook, um, other groups that may be working in this particular rare disease, and we join forces to decide to put together an online patient registry where patients can um, sign up to be the first to know when there are news about a clinical trial that they may want to participate in. So that's one very good example of this radical collaboration where. The Body Pharmaceutical Company can't do it alone. The patient advocacy group can't do it alone. But together, we can bring the information uh, and the resource to the patient to be able to connect to the information that can be very helpful to them um, and can help develop a new treatment.
0: Sandra Spielberg, founder and CEO of Seeker Health. Sandra, thanks so much for your time as always.
1: Thank you, Dan.